have we lied to ourselves? I'm not picking on you, as, but as just said in her, um, in her, in the chat room that uh, Diet Coke cancels out fudge-dipped Oreos. She's lying to herself, right? But we do that all the time as writers. We we lie to ourselves about. Um, and I think to our readers sometimes about our intentions. Um, I mean, it's not even always on purpose. Uh, do you? I was thinking about this before the podcast started, and I was thinking to myself, um, I wonder if J.K. Rowling will ever own the fact that Dumbledore is a villain. Now, I've not watched every video or every interview she's ever done or whatever. I've, I've never, I've not read all the interviews that she's done in magazines. So I don't know. Um, but do you think that when she started out with her Gandalf clone that she meant to make him a villain? Or did the... The, the contrived nature of her plot make him a villain. I'm going to get Jilly on the phone. What do you think? Um, I think that it was the latter. I think it was the contrived nature of her plot that made him a villain. What we talked about is that like authors sometimes have blinders on when they're trying to accomplish their goal. Like they don't see the ramifications of the decisions they're making. And I can't think of an author. I think that that's more apparent with than JK Rowling. She was trying to tell this adventure story for this little boy. Um, who's going on this magical world and he's going to be a hero. And the the reality is, is to make a, ch- a child a hero figure, you kind of have to figure out a way to write the adults out. And most people, most stories I've read that have a child hero have not written the adults out in a way that doesn't make all the adults look awful. And she's not really any different. Incompetent. Yeah, they're incompetent or they're negligent or they're apathetic. There's something about the adults. There's something very wrong with them in these universes. And see that they've got blinders on that just is, that they just cannot and, and in a way don't want to see the, the obvious implication of the, the adults acting this way. And she's, she's just a really glaring example, but I would say it's, it's present in the majority of the child-slash-teenage hero stories um unless the adults are just outright villains like in hunter games right or um i mean even in um even in lemony snickets um there was an element of incompetent adults in that as well um so it's just Well, let's look at her plot in the first book, and, and this is really, really where it sets up where Dumbledore is manipulating Harry um, on a path that eventually leads him to suicide. Um, in order to make it possible for those three children to get through the traps to the to the um, to the stone, they had to be workable by children, right? 
Um, those kids were very that was her thinking those skills. Yeah, right. And so, but the thing is, is so so she set up these traps. So okay, can Ron can do this one, and Hermione can do this one, and Harry will do this one, and the troll will be unconscious. Um, kind of like as a little um, mirror back to the fact that Ron had already not that troll unconscious once. So you know, as a little mirror, that's cute. Okay, here's the thing. Because she did that, because she contrived these plot points to get these children through these traps, it looked like Dumbledore set it up as a test for Harry. And that's mm-hmm. how, and Fannin runs with it every single time, because that's what it looks like. But what it really is, is J.K. Rowling contriving plot points to get, her, um, to get Harry where he needs to be at the end of the story. Yeah, a contrived plot has made an accidental villain. And it could, because there's no other way to... In, Somebody who is that negligent is a villain of a sort. And it, but she sets that precedent at, in the beginning when he leaves the baby on the doorstep. I Phantom doesn't even know what to do with that, right? We're still all – years later, we're all still reeling over him leaving Harry on the doorstep, and that's the first chapter. In November, and I'm not the only fan who looked up the weather conditions in Surrey, England, on that night in 1981. It was miserable. It was cold. It was below freezing at some point in Great Britain. And he left an injured toddler. Toddler, not a baby, but a toddler. Harry could walk. Harry was already flying a little toy broom at that point. He'd done it at his birthday party. He was very mobile. For fuck's sake. Yeah, it's it, 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 and even if they put him under a sleeping charm, that actually is almost even worse, right? That he can't respond to dangers on his own. Um, not that toddlers are capable of responding to much danger, but they're capable of screaming and running away unless they're charmed into submission. Could even call for help. Right. Because if he, he was, was charmed, that's the only way they don't mention that's that in the book. So that's that's a fan thing, right? Because yeah. in the book, they just drop him on the stairs. Not literally drop him. They put him on the stairs and they walk away. But you, you don't have to ring the doorbell. Under sleeping. You have to think he's under a sleeping charm, though. That's the only thing that makes well, even remotely any sense. Except that Harry has memories of flying on the motorcycle with Hagrid. So um, he wasn't I would think they applied the sleeping when charm traveled. when they got there. Right. But when it, but the, yeah. I, have to, I don't think they could just put a toddler down and walk away and expect the toddler to still be there. <laughs> that just doesn't work that way. Even even magical people know that, as oblivious as they were. Um, and yeah, she kind of set it up that magical people are clueless and they're oblivious and magic handles everything. And and really, it's amazing their society functions, considering how freaking idiotic they all are. Um, but in her attempt to make this adventure for these three kids, she made an entire society of negligent adults and borderline incompetent adults. And you know that wasn't what she meant. Develop a sport that allows children to have cannonballs flung at them. Mm-hmm. And there's no safety nets on the ground. There's no cushioning charms. There's there's nothing there but 
dirt. So you would think that the kids' version of that game would have safety features built into it, where those things can't break a bone, where if they get knocked off their broom, they fall into a cushioning charm or something. That shit has to exist, right? And uh-huh. so it, she created – now, she was just writing a story for her kids at that point. She was telling her kids a story, and it was this fantastical story she was telling her children – and um, there's a little Lord of the Rings in it. There's a little Oliver Twist in it. There's a little um, Good Witch in it. I mean, it, you know, so it's all it's all contrived and it's all derivative. But I really don't think she went into it intending on making her Gandalf clone a. I'm I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. It's so rude. Dumbledore. She did not mean to make Dumbledore. Um, look as manipulative and duplicitous. Dupl- say it for me. Duplicitous. Dupl- Thank you. <laughs> that fucking word <laughs> never comes out of my mouth. Duplicitous. Blah, blah. Fuck that. Fuck that word. Um, two-faced. <laughs> as he ends up being <laughs> in the context of the plot. He was supposed to be wise and kind and all-knowing and thoughtful. He's supposed to guide Harry to his fate. And even that sounds terrible. I think the main difference between Gandalf and Dumbledore is that Gandalf did what he had to do, but, but he grieved. He 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 followed the path he was set on. And he put those who needed to be on those paths as well. But but he never he never put anybody on a path with the intention of them dying. No, and I think it boils down to the actor versus the actual um, um, writing because I remember this scene being all that powerful when I when I read Lord of the Rings. But when Frodo tells the council that he'll take the ring, the uh, Ian McCollum's face is a study in grief. He is instantly. It's like a he. Frodo says the ring, and those words broke Gandalf's heart. Because he he, he saw, had to know. He had to know that the odds of Frodo surviving were very small, and and I think in his role in Middle Earth, he often he knew the path that he took people on, not everyone was going to survive, but he always intended for them all to survive, even if it was improbable. And then there's somebody he cares about taking the most dangerous position on this journey, and it's probably the last thing he ever wanted. But Dumbledore doesn't have that grief. Even when he met Harry in the afterlife, he was like, he greeted him like he was proud of him for committing suicide instead of being horrified by what it came to. Yeah. And he acted like he was like fate's assistant or something, which is really a, you know, so you live in this world of fate and prophecy and that kind of thing. And yet, and Dumbledore's whole... Stick was 
not that you knew it right away, but eventually you find out that everything he's done is because, you know, he's helping fade along. And that just never goes well. <laughs> There's like no and it's story so arrogant. ever. ever. I want to write a story where he gets down in front of fate, and the first thing she asks you is, what, what the fuck? How the fuck did you possibly think that I needed your help? I needed your help. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why would I need your help, you meddling old man? <laughs> My chat room isn't moving. I just now noticed. I was like, that. no one saying a damn word, but then it, was just, it wasn't moving. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, that's true. Caprice just points out that the chance that Frodo would be corrupted by the ring was almost inevitable, which might be worse than Frodo dying. Um, and that would be really difficult to know that Frodo had a, 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 was more likely to live than, than not be corrupted by the ring. That he might, that he, if he survived, his odds were that he was going to be forever tainted. And, he, and in, in a, after a fashion, he was. It, the ring is life ruining. It ruins yeah. it ruins everything in its path. And um in my research for small magic I, I came to realize that the one ring actually is literally a horcrux. Mhm. It the one ring carries a large portion of Sauron's soul. But um so it's very corruptive, and so, but you. But I think that it's such a. Um, I maybe. Mm-hmm. It's such a common thing for authors to do this, and they do it across every genre. You you read a story where you're just going, "Wow, I wonder if the author realized the implication of that." Have you ever had that thought? where by the time you get to the end of the book, that little thing is still hanging out there. Odds are the author didn't realize the implication of it. Um, and it's, you know, and, and it's, it's an easy thing to miss, but I would say it is the most prevalent in these adventure books that focus on younger people. Um, of the ones I can think of off the top of my head, the one I can think of that sort of mitigated that the best to a degree was, the Percy Jackson, especially the first book. Um, sort of. I mean, there were still some issues with the adults, but it wasn't quite so bad where you just kind of went, wow, did the author just not pay attention to what was going on, what this all said about the adults? Because the kids kind of went off the reservation, right? They were supposed to be under adult supervision, but they took off. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the very teenagerish asshole. Um, at least the original in my mind. The, f- the first time I realized that adults couldn't be trusted in fiction was when I was watching um, The Wizard of Oz. This bitch sends Dorothy basically on a mission to kill her own sister because that's the result, right? And it's like, you're thinking to yourself, is it, is the, is Oz in on it? Is the wizard in on it? Did he and Glenda have a conversation about killing the sister? Because Dorothy has to go 
get her broom. Well, how do you get the witch's broom? You have to kill her, right? So first, Dorothy kills Dorothy kills both of Glinda's sisters, and she's a teenager, mm-hmm. right? She kills one with the house, and she kills one with water. And the whole time, she could have gone home the moment those fucking ruby slippers got put on her feet. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm thinking to myself, even at nine years old, Glinda is an asshole. Yeah, I mean, the the whole thing about going to see the wizard, that whole thing was a snipe hunt. And there's no way Glinda didn't know that the wizard wasn't a real wizard. So right. the whole that whole adventure aspect of off to see the wizard stuff, snipe hunt to put her in the path of the Wicked Witch. No, she's a child in the books. She is like a child. She's not a teenager. They aged her up, which I think um, is probably appropriate to the content of the Wizard of Oz because it's not... Um, it's not all that child-friendly. No, I would not have wanted to see a child actor in that role. As no, an adult, I I'd be horrified. I mean, because between between the creepy munchkins and the flying monkeys and the witch, it's, it's really fucking creepy. <laughs> I really hated the flying monkeys. When I was a kid, they terrified the crap out of me. I just I thought they were so terrifying, and, and it just kind of changed my whole my view. Eyes. I always always covered my eyes during the flying monkey part. Yeah, well, it tainted my view of the whole movie, um, the flying, the you know. So, and that and I was you know, young. I was under ten when I saw that. Um, yeah, I was nine, not eight, nine. Yeah. Have you seen um, the Tin Man? No. It is a uh, retelling of The Wizard of Oz, and it's told from, um, it's it's kind of a modernization a little bit. It's very interesting. It was on the Sci-Fi Channel, and I think you can watch it on Netflix. It's really interesting. Um, the flying monkeys are somehow worse because of where they come from. Um, and I don't want to spoil it for you because it's great. It's a great movie. It's got... Um, that white-haired guy that's very religious that was in that lawyer drama or that medical drama, I forget his name. Um, and um, Alan Cumming, he plays um, the Scarecrow, um, and he's fantastic. And Zoe Daschle is um, Dorothy. The Tin Man is a fucking awesome little miniseries, and it used to be on... Um, it used to be on Netflix, and I'm not sure if it still is, but it's very good. Um, but I, I think it really explores a lot of the themes that you don't get to see um, in the original movie. Um, it's just, just, just really interesting. Uh, yeah, I've got it up on my screen. Um, I'll, I'll have to make a note to... I really enjoyed it. The backstory for Kane, who put, who plays um, basically the Ten Man character, is is tragic and um, stunning. And Glitch is beautiful, and it's just it's. But you know what? There isn't much I can watch Alan Cummings in and not be pleased because he's awesome. 
He's just great. Yeah. He's very yeah. talented. Yeah. The, the, I think the good thing about the Tin Man is that it's about redemption. Um, and uh, it's about uh, sisterhood. And so I just, I, I really connected to it when I watched it. And it's actually probably my, of all the modern takes on the Wizard of Oz, that's my favorite. Although I am really fond of the original. I even have the anniversary edition with the, with the big, with the movie. Um, I have a little, um, I have framed cells of the, uh, copies of the original film. Um, I got a collection, a collector's edition. I think mine was like number 67. Anyway, <laughs> I liked it a lot. Uh, but uh, Tin Man is, is, is awesome. I highly recommend it if you've not watched it. If you can't get it on Netflix, I'm sure you could probably get it on Amazon or Best Buy because someone just provided a link. Um, excellent. Highly recommended. Not sponsored. <laughs> It's just really good storytelling with excellent character development, and um, that's kind of rare. It's not available on Netflix and, anymore, but it and might be available on Prime or something. Each other, and it's just it's, and they are to the, in the beginning, but the redemption arc is gorgeous, and. Um, Apparently it's eight dollars on Amazon, so yeah, it's definitely worth the eight bucks. I highly recommend it. I really do. Um, but again and again, we see these things where um, the author makes plot choices and pushes the characters into these decisions and creates morally ambiguous circumstances that you have to push the character through as a reader and you come out on the other side of it thinking the reader that the character is a sorry piece of shit especially when it's the main character you don't you know that's never the you know it's not the author's intent or even or even a secondary character who is really vital to the plot you know the author's intention is not that you think that these characters are awful um right and yet they are they don't, people just, they don't stop to consider the ramifications of the decisions they make. Um, you know, we've talked about um, before, like, you know, the ramifications of, like, Tony revealing classified information to a reporter. That's treason. So, I mean, it might seem like a good idea at the time, but what is it saying about your main character? Do you want them to be a traitor? Is that the deal? And I mean, in if, prison? If so, write that write that plot you know where they're like doing like a whistleblower thing or whatever but typically you know you don't want just a minor plot point to just hand wave away an act of treason if you have prime um, amazon prime it is 10 manas free so you don't even have to buy it awesome i just put it on my watch list (laughs) it's really good uh but I have made choices um, in my narrative, and, and normally I, I find these things pretty quickly, pretty easily, because it's one of the ways that my it's just it's just a quirk of my brain and how it works. Um, it's because I I suffer um, with anxiety to the point where I have to be medicated. So a lot of times, um, if 
I let myself fixate on something. Um, let me give you an example. When I was eight years old ish, it was mid eighties, eighty five, eighty six ish. No, I've been older. Mid eighties. Anyways, I was born in the seventies, it was the mid eighties, eight, nine, ten, that area. Um I discovered or I realized for the first time that global warming was a problem and that the ozone layer was thinning. And I became obsessed with it, with global warming and the ozone, especially the ozone layer, because that was something that was really popular back then, talking about the hole in the ozone. And I became obsessed with it. I read everything I possibly could, and I tried to get my mom to write letters to the state and to the Congress because I was so worried about it. Um, and it's like it just kind of unfolded in my brain. And I thought, the earth is going to cook if we don't have an ozone layer. Everything is going to boil. All the animals are going to die. I mean, it was ridiculous. I was 8, 9, 10, somewhere in that area. So my brain has always worked that way. But now that I'm medicated, uh, it's not as random as that. Although sometimes, like if I think I've forgotten to lock my door, I'll be at the grocery store like Last time it happened, I was at the grocery store, and I'm getting ready to get out, and i got my grocery bags, and I'm putting them um, on a little hook thing so I can put it on the cart. And I think to myself, did I lock the door? I didn't lock the door. I'm not sure if I locked the door. I probably did, right? And a normal person would be like, okay, yeah, I locked the door, and then go into the store. Not me. I stood there paralyzed for like a full minute thinking to myself, did I lock the door? If I lock the door, is somebody in my house? Is someone still on my computer? Is is my routing backed up? I had to go home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was that quick. It was like a, it took me a minute to get there. Like there's somebody in my house. My computer's gonna get stolen. You know, my TV is gonna get stolen. Oh my God, my Xbox. And so I get home. I, I drive 15 minutes back to my house from the grocery store with no groceries, get out, check the door. It was, in fact, locked. I get back in my car and go back to the grocery store. So because my yep. brain works that way and I have that anxiety thing going on, it easily translates into one of my better skills as a writer. So it's, you know, give and take. It's sacrifice that I make. <laughs> I I have that same like quirk about well with the anxiety about what could be did I remember did I and so because I have to be very conscientious about you know did I turn the lock did I turn the stove off you know make sure I like do it with deliberation instead of automatically otherwise I'll be lying in bed at night going did I turn the stove off I can't remember <laughs> it's the that toaster on the off I can't remember. Yeah, it, you know, I, and I've, I, the only thing I've done, and the thing is, as many times as I've checked, you know, is the stove off, it's always off. Is the door locked, it's always locked. But the thing is, I never can trust that the next time it's going to no. be. I never, I, I never can no. settle down, right? 
The only thing that I have actually ever gotten up to check on that has been true has been, did I close my Word file? And sometimes I have not. <laughs> but that's more You can't leave a Word file open, you guys, because if your computer no. reboots um, or Word locks up, it could corrupt your file, and then you're fucked. Never leave your document open. I'm so serious. Yeah, if you're not doing something with it, close it. And periodically, I just rev up my files. I just, you know, sometimes I'll just be like, okay, I'm, t- I'm ready for version 1A <laughs> because just because I want, a, a, you know, a, a clean a file that I know is good, stored, not the one I'm working on. So the file you're working in is always the most vulnerable. Right. I mean, I think there have been cases of files people are not working in getting corrupted, but that's pretty uncommon. And usually it's a result of a virus, and if that's the case, and file corruption is usually the least of your problems. Yeah. I um this this kind of intention blindness. It it's pretty easy to have something in your plot that is. is a problem that implies something bad about your main character or it implies something bad about somebody else. It can just, it can just imply something. And I, I'm, I'm always willing to off sacrifice myself on the altar of, you know, tearing apart my bad decisions um, because I'm not going to tear apart anybody else's decisions, but sometimes in the, in, in stories that focus on the MCU, Sometimes you see people trying to roll in the X-Men, and sometimes that works really well, and sometimes it doesn't work at all. And it's a matter of what you've done with the story up to the point that you roll in the X-Men, right? So my last chapter in the story that I'm having to reconceive, because no matter how I twist it, there's a problem with having done this, involves Charles Xavier being involved, which implicitly means the X-Men are around. And in Demons, that's a big problem, that the X-Men are right there in New York, and they haven't been involved yeah. in the story up to that point. It implies something very negligent and deeply unfortunate about um, the whole thing with the Doom Box and Demons. And I keep trying to, you know, I, the only way I could do it and have it be reasonable was that they were busy on doing something else, but really all of them. Um, and also that they are, you know, no matter how insular the X-Men might be, um, also Sentinels and Guides and the X-Men existing in the same universe and there being the same bigotry towards the X-Gene would be a little bit strange. So I, I didn't actually realize the problem with this um, until I got to working on Chapter 12. And I was like, okay, this is actually, it's a problem in, it has many layers of problems. And not the least of which is that they're getting, having Hulk involved in the dealing with the bots as plan B was a very desperate plan B because it, it would, is nobody's idea of the optimal solution is having him involved because he's too unpredictable. Um, their plan A was conceivably the only plan they thought that they had. And that's the one they expected to work until all of their forces basically got felled, which is how Hulk winds up involved, have to go to plan B. Um, 
so, but when you move to um, the X-Men conceivably being around in some fashion and them not being called on when it's the potential for there being, you know, a bunch of basically potentially a bunch of dirty bombs being let loose on New York, it winds up being a massive negligence that they weren't given a heads up. And so that's just, I just so, had to write that out. I just had to get rid of it. My, yeah, my lazy ass solution would be to, to change uh, the character and not use Charles Xavier at all. <laughs> like, no, nope. yeah, that's, that's exactly what's going to happen. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I can't, I can't, um, you don't have I room. can't, no, it's too difficult to, 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 you're really tight right also, now. You're, you're, the plot's really tight. Yeah, also to, to explain, to introduce a bunch of explanation about why the X-Men weren't involved in anything up to that point is just takes the last chapter down into a rat hole that doesn't need to go into. So, um, but I realized that, now the thing is, if I had not realized when I sat down to work on that chapter that, and this is a little bit of writing delay on, on that last chapter because I had to reconceive what's going on in the last chapter to a degree because Charles Xavier did play a significant role in two things that were going to happen in the last chapter. Um, I had to reconceive what was going to happen in chapter 12, not in, not in, in an overall thematic thing, but the actual literal plot points have to change because he, he can't funk, he can't be in the story. He can't exist in this universe. And, um, but if I had just not realized ramifications of that, I could have written that story and put it out there. And then a bunch of people would be scratching their heads going, well, why weren't the X-Men involved in that battle? And that would have been a really legitimate question. Because why weren't they well, involved? Here's the question. You also already said something really interesting. In a world where Sentinel and Guide exist, um, I think the events of X-Men would have gone down very differently. Oh, very. Because the world is already used to enhance people. If Sentinels, you know, and probably, Sentinels and Guides around. For those of you who ship it, I think that um, Magneto and Xavier could easily be sentinel and guide. <laughs> oh yeah, I agree. If you said there wouldn't be, there wouldn't there be that dividing line. Um, there wouldn't be um, that that division that was between Magnet Eric and Charles in in the first, you know, in the, in the X-Men series. Um, I actually thought James McAvoy and uh, Michael Fassbender had incredible on-screen chemistry. So um, when I saw First Class, I was like, yeah, I ship it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ship it. Um, I, I ship the old dudes, too, actually, too. But, uh, but well, I yeah, didn't really they're like, like what's on board. They're, uh, they're like BFFs from, like, that's for yeah, real they're, right there. <laughs> yeah, they're they're real life BFF. So, um, why? Um, but the um, because Aguido was in a concentration camp. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I just I just um. But I, I actually think in a world where Sentinels and Guides exist, that some of that would have gone down way different too. <laughs> Maybe I don't not. think they could have gotten those concentration camps with Sentinels and Guides around. I think that, um, honestly, a lot of things wouldn't have happened in history, and Hitler would have got sniped. 
Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, he would he might have started trying to try down that path, but it would never have gotten the way where it got. No way. Yeah. So, um, not the way I write Sentinels and Guides. There's no way they would have tolerated that kind of crap going on. And I think so. Just a just a little bit of it would have would have like caused empathic issues that would have um, been a big problem that would have been felt. So. I think that, you know, world history actually looks quite a bit different. Yeah, honestly, the guys are known universe. Even, even if they had managed to set up a single camp the first time they put down a Jewish guide, it would have been over. Yeah, that would have been it. Camp would have been overrun. That's that. So, I mean, I hate it. I just said, I said it and I regretted my word choices immediately. What what a disgusting thing to say. I am I am so sorry. Put down. I I, I don't even know where that came from. I I am so sorry. What a disgust. Oh, I'm, 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 give me a minute. <laughs> okay, I'll give you a minute. Sometimes <laughs> your word choices fuck you up. <laughs> yeah. That was their attitude. The Nazi it definitely was the were. attitude of what was happening. It's it's just, yeah, it's horrifying. Um. <sighs> But I remember the first time the I read Frank, the diary of Anne Frank, I cried uncontrollably. I could not, I couldn't, it was just overwhelming. Question, would Captain America even exist? Um, I think that there would still be wars and there would have still been unrest around that time. Um, I don't think it would have gone full on. I don't think Sentinels, the Sentinels would have allowed it to go full on concentration camp thing but it doesn't mean there wouldn't have been a war that sentinels and guys wouldn't have been fighting in so i do think it's conceivable that captain america could have still come about but it just would not have been as the same way there would have been different circumstances it wouldn't have been the 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 egregious thing we have in, in in reality so i think sentinels and guys are known universes especially sentinels and guides are known and revered part of society universes which is what i tend to write um, a lot of things would have gone down very differently, um, or at least, you know, so, so would, you wouldn't have the issue of um, X-Men, um, the X-Gene, people who are mutants being, being treated as, as, as less, as, as, you know, being hunted or experimented on. I mean, there might have been some of that issue of people experimenting on them still, but it wouldn't have been something even remotely government-sanctioned, right? Because Sentinels and Guides find out about that kind of stuff and they put a stop to it. So I think world history kind of plays out a little bit differently. And if you factor in, if you have, in the Sentinels and Guides are known universe, the one I created, if X-Men exist, um, it, it actually, it, it it creates a big problem all, all over in my plot. And I didn't consider it before now because the only time that they came in to my little plot document was in the very last chapter. <laughs> and what so I, I didn't say run is, is that headlong into my fuck up might exist. And Charles Xavier and Magneto, what is it? What is his name? Eric Lencher. Eric, Charles and Eric could be sitting on God's hair. Um, but just because they exist, and just because mutants exist doesn't mean the X-Men would have formed because the X-Men were created to fight Magneto, right? 
they were created. Yeah, they created. Yeah, they were created around some specific stuff. Well, they were created around the events that drove Magneto and um, Professor X apart. Because the original X Men, Magneto was sort of a part of it. He was sort of co-leader-ish. So, At least that's the way First Class puts it out. And that's not really. I don't. I don't know. I don't really remember comic book canon too well, even though I used to read X Men comics. But that's the movie canon. So you could even say that the X-Men don't exist in that verse. I mean, the mutants themselves might exist, but that doesn't mean that they actually run around as a superhero team. In leather. True. Although, True. although Hugh Jackman did do nice things for that leather. Um, uh-huh. I ain't mad. Yeah, so it's not, maybe it's not Charles' existence that's a problem. It's the X-Men's existence that's a problem. Right. And I didn't run headfirst into that. I didn't run headlong into that issue because it was a minor plot point for the last chapter. Um, and then I got It's to, easier just to sit down not start. completely than to kind of get your head cannon around the fact that the X-Men don't exist. And, you know. Yeah, because I'd have to actually – well, I'd have to actually put in an author note that the X-Men do not exist in this universe and probably make Charles – and, and and Eric sitting on guide. Um, if I was going to write Captain America in a sitting on guide verse, I would actually make the experiment that creates Captain America be part of a government experiment to create Sentinels. That merges, that fuses your Sentinel Fanon with your Captain America canon and allows you to create a situation where um, they're at war, there aren't enough Sentinels, they're trying to make more, and Steve was the first and ended up being the only um, success. And that Hydra continued to fuck with it, which is how Black Widow got created and how Winter Soldier became. That's how I would do it if I was going to write it, and I'm not. So if you're out there and you want to do that, you go right ahead. Have it. It's yours. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't – I'm not playing that game. But it would, that, that's how I would do it. Well, I would have the Captain America experiment be a sentinel, maybe even a sentinel who doesn't need a guide. But they I fail. definitely have it that they're trying to play with Sentinel genetics with Cap, even though that doesn't ever come up with a story because that's where they got the idea and, and the and the biology of trying to get the stronger um because I do write Sentinels especially in this verse as being stronger than um I I did um in my Star Trek story, I do have it in that um, the eugenics experiments that produced Khan um, were about trying to make us a sentinel who didn't need a guide. And that all they did, all they succeeded in doing was creating sentinels who couldn't actually form a bond. It, they did not need a guide. They just couldn't bond with them. They ruined that ability for them. them. And, so, and made them actually a bunch of crazy nutbags. Anyway, I think that would be interesting. I'd probably read it depending on the pairing that you wrote, um, but I'm not interested in writing it myself. <laughs> As for shipping yeah. options, if you're if you're curious, I 
could ship Steve and Bucky, depending on the circumstances, as long as they're both mentally healthy enough to engage in a relationship. Um, I can definitely ship Steve and Tony as long as Steve doesn't portray Tony because I got issues with betrayal. Um, and I would even ship Steve with um, uh, Carter, the original Carter. Peggy? Peggy. Peggy Carter, yes. It just was not coming into my head. Or, honestly, Steve and Howard Stark because the guy who played Howard Stark was pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but then you'd have no Tony unless you thought they decided to have a child by surrogate. Well, yeah. I mean, because I don't think Howard's the kind of person that would he, – he would uh, – Howard considered Tony his greatest accomplishment. There's no way he doesn't have a kid. Yeah. Just saying. So, but it was – that was just – in in my recent writing, that was when I most recently ran into my own issue with putting something in, in my plot that was completely incompatible with my world or would say something very negative about a lot of people. Um, because either the X-Men are so insular that they won't work on issues that don't affect mutants, which would be not great. It wouldn't reflect great well on them that, you know, 80 dirty bombs running around New York is not a problem for them. Um or it means that for some bizarre reason, um, the FBI decided not to notify them when this risk was imminent, and it's just it was just bizarre. So that's just negligent that they're gonna they're gonna train a Hulk to delimb robots before they're gonna ask the X Men for help. That seems a little crazy. So I this is a lot crazy. <laughs> And also, I mean, I think Hulk is actually very intelligent, but he's also I do too. Um, he's very he's a child. And um, once I made that connection for me, my, my head cannon was complete. The Hulk is a child. He's he's at best an adolescent, and he um, has rage issues, and obviously, uh, but he's just he's Bruce's night child, and that. It made me very protective of 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 the Hulk, although he doesn't need protection. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Dark. Dark says a smart, angry child is more dangerous than a dumb adult. <laughs> Speaking of smart ch- children, um, I have reached. I have one. Ch- I have one chapter left for Finding Atlantis, and I have reached a. Um, I have a conundrum myself, and I'm not sure um, how to solve it. And so I'm kind of like noodling it. And it's not so much that I made a bad plot choice early on, but in that I'm torn between something very sentimental and something more realistic. And so that that's a choice I have to make. Anyways. Sentimental versus realistic. Hmm. I'm gonna do this thing. And for this thing that is this thing is gonna happen regardless. But I think it, it would be very um very sentimental if certain people 
were on the city when this thing happens. But realistically speaking, it would be unlikely. So I can oh, write I know exactly it so what you're talking. I can I know write exactly it what you're talking about. And make my reader eat it. But uh, so I don't know. You know, I'm just because because it is kind of like this just this charming, sweet little story. I, I feel like it might need a charming, sweet little unrealistic end. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for fuck's sake, I got an emotional penguin in there. I'm, I'm an emotional support penguin. So I might as well just write that so the ending, right? <laughs> I, I have a hunch I know exactly what your conundrum is, and I think you've laid the groundwork for the sentimental quite well. I think okay. it's there. You could, I think, I think, I think oh you could God. justify it quite easily with what you've already written, but realism works too. Yeah. I half expected so. it, honestly. Did you? Yeah, I've been kind of seeding it. There, there's a little, there's a little foreshadowing early on, and then there's a little more. So I've been kind of seeding the idea that he comes to Atlantis, um, but um, and I'm not, I'm not cock teasing you guys because this will be on rough trade within the next 48 hours or so. So you know, no, I'm, I'm not cock teasing. I promise. <laughs> oh no 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 no! I don't do that. Um, I, I I couldn't write both versions. That that's just not the the only time I will write a test version of something is if I'm having a hard time getting a scene to work, and I'll flip it from a different point of view to see if that helps. Or sometimes I'll write it in a different um, like if, if I'm writing in third person, I might switch to a practice and write a first person of the scene to see where I'm having problems with characterization or whatever. But I would never um, write two endings for the story that um, would really mess with me. The only way I would do it is if I wrote an ending to a story and it just so didn't work that I couldn't bring myself to post it. But I I wouldn't intend to write um Um, so it's a thing. Yeah, I would. The sprints have um, really helped my production, so it will it will happen pretty quickly. So either way, because I am actually twenty two hundred words into my final chapter already. So because um, I'm at the, actually at the scene where I have to make the decision because Theseus has told John, John and Theseus are having a conversation in the city park that, that's been completed, um, and they're talking about um, Sebastian. And um, uh, the gate, Theseus tells John that the gate is activated and that he should go to the gate room because he'll be pleasantly surprised by who has arrived. Um, and so I just got to figure out who came to the city. One is definite. One one is definite because uh, I knew from the moment I wrote John, um, John wrote Patrick that, that Patrick Shepard was going to come to Pegasus because he's not waiting. <laughs> he waited long enough yeah. to get his son back. He's, he's done waiting. He's coming. He'll be there. I just don't know who he's bringing with him. So, Yeah, I think I, I think you've got the groundwork for the sentimental option too. Um, anyway, um, 
you do, I mean, sometimes you do run into headlong into problems in your story and sometimes you back up and sometimes you, um, but I think the thing that's really important is to pay attention and when you run into that problem, actually do something about it. And I think that sometimes I, I and I've even seen people kind of talking about it, it's kind of like, well, it's too difficult to fix this. I'll just going to keep going. And then you've got maybe something that is really well written and it's got ni- nice word craft and good idea craft. And there's just this thing that's just right out there in the middle, like a turd in a pool that just does not belong <laughs> there. It's just bizarre. <laughs> it's like, why? Why? Why, why is it there? Why? <laughs> why is it you it like doesn't leave make a pool? Sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense that somebody would leave a turd in a pool. It doesn't make sense that Tony would commit treason. It doesn't make, you know, it doesn't make sense that, you know, you get back together with somebody who believes you committed murder. Um, you know, whatever. It just, you know, it's one of those, you know. I, well, they, I'm all for... Actually, I'm not. You guys know I don't like the misunderstanding trope. Uh, minor misunderstandings happen. But when whole stories hinge on a misunderstanding, that's annoying. It's like, can't these people communicate like adults? But whatever. But, you know, if – okay, so as an example, in, and this is canon. In the canon episode frame-up, like Tony's frame for murder, Gibbs never believed he was guilty of murder. Never. He never believed it. No matter how much evidence is stacked against him, he never believed it. Abby never believed it either. Never bought into the evidence that was piling up showing that Tony committed murder. That was really apparent. They did not for a second believe he was actually guilty. Whether Tim and Ziva believed it or not was a little sketchier. But those two definitely did not buy into the whole murder thing. Can you imagine the difference if Gibbs had even temporarily believed that Tony had killed that, that woman? had cut her leg off and taken a bite out of her. I mean, imagine even if Tony knew that Gibbs questioned it, he's done. He's done. There's no going back from that. Right. That's just at a professional level. Never mind tossing a personal relationship onto that. You know, you just, it's really hard. Like I see this kind of thing in stories, you know, where one, one, one lover believe, you know, one person in the partnership believes something terrible about their partner um, for whatever reason, whether it's murder or, you know, infidelity or, and they really believe it. trope in Star Trek where um, Jim is sexually assaulted um, and his bonded Vulcan husband telepathic assumes that he cheated and leaves him, divorces him, whatever, unbonds with him. I'm thinking, thank you. (laughs) Second, you need to go back to Vulcan school (laughs) because that's ridiculous. (laughs) How could he not know his bondmate was being sexually assaulted? It's impossible. It's, it is impossible. And, it, it, and for, for him to believe it, and then you see the, them getting past it, and, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I, I can't believe that of you. And, oh, kissy, kissy, let's make up. I'd be like, oh, I'd be double burdened that person from every dimension that I exist in. <laughs> 
shoe. And the horse you rode it on. <laughs> it's just not. It's like, you thought, it's like you really thought I murdered somebody? Really? I mean, if you really think that you, you know me so. And I mean, yes, there are people who actually murder people out there. And their loved ones are astonished. And they don't want to believe it. There's the key. They don't want to believe it. And yet you see stories and stuff where, you know, the loved one is super willing to hop up on that little misunderstanding. And when it comes to adults not communicating, often these like 90,000 word or 100 or 120,000 word misunderstandings revolve around one character never even saying the words, I didn't do it. No one who's accused of something egregious doesn't deny it. I mean, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. So... One of the most offensive tropes in the Harry Potter fandom is Harry and Hermione having a one-night stand and her running away and having his baby without communicating with him for a decade or more and, like, until the kid gets his letter or her letter and she ends up back in England to go to Hogwarts and she has to confess to Harry that she had his baby and ran. It is honestly the most offensive fucking thing on every level. One. Hermione's just <laughs> to take the one thing from Harry Potter that he wanted more than anything else, the only thing he saw in the mirror in the of Azerod, however how you say that, was a family. And for Hermione, who talks a thousand words a minute, not telling Harry what's going on or what's happened. There's, this, this, is what's, this is what we're dealing with because she's the most mature of the three of them, right? So, okay, secret baby, no. Hermione being an asshole, no. Hermione depriving Harry Potter of the one thing he wanted in most, his heart's desire, no. No. Even if she didn't want to be with him, see her running off and not letting him know his own child. It is the dumbest, stupidest, cruelest fucking trope in Harry Potter and I hate it. I hate it more mm-hmm. than I hate Mary. Okay, I'm done. I'm going to get off my soapbox, put it away. <laughs> I had to get it out. <laughs> I, I ran into three different stories yesterday about it and I was just furious the whole fucking day. It's so goddamn annoying. I just can't. This, I it makes her baby trope It's unforgivable. The secret baby trope only works with couples that are not getting together. Um, You've got to, you know, but if she loved him all along and kept his baby from him, mm -mm, mm mm-mm. Now, if he had gotten, you know, Cho knocked up or something, and she took off for a decade and didn't tell him about his baby, and he only finds out, you know, that's completely different than his best friend betraying him. Right? It's so keeping the thing that he loves from him. It says so much it says so much ugly things about her. It um it is disgusting. Especially because she knows him so well. I mean that's just that's just really terrible behavior. You don't keep your child from a man who's going to stand up and be a good father. He's gonna try his best. You keep your child from people who are dangerous and unpredictable, who aren't going to be a good father, who who don't want children. 
and even then, if you have an ounce of decency in you, unless you're talking about you accidentally had an affair with a serial killer, there's no reason to not tell somebody that they're a father. Or well, unless like yeah, a I mean, one night stand or something, you know. I mean, and you don't know their name, which you know. I'm not going to judge you because that happens. <laughs> I mean, you get a name, but you don't know if it's the real one, and honestly, you don't care. <laughs> and it's not like you're checking ID, you know. So. <laughs> But if you, but 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 those circumstances are just outrageous and disgusting. And if you want to write Hermione as a fucking cunt and a bitch, do it. But then don't turn around and have Harry forgive her for doing that. You need to own your character's actions. If Tony commits treason, then you need to own the consequences of that as well. Which means Tony is going to jail unless he gets pardoned by the fucking president, or he winds up hiding in some embassy somewhere. Um. But the thing is, to write him committing treason and not aware you're writing him committing treason, that's a problem. You know, it's like, pay attention, wake up. Ziva did not commit treason. Ziva was Ziva, espionage. Yes, espionage. Ziva is not, was not, when she did her thing, she was not an American citizen. And apparently they gave, they forgave her for the espionage, which they shouldn't have. Um, but uh, and realistically, they wouldn't have. She'd have been in jail. But well, she was you, not a citizen at the time, so it was not treason. You you dealt with it in the only in in I think ascendant is in the only way that made any sense to me, which was that she supplied information that she basically used to buy her way. Out of yeah, she bought her way charge into and into citizenship. Um, that's the only way that that, that makes any sense. That's that behind my opinion that she that she bought it, which is why she ended up getting killed by her later on. It's my headcanon that Ziva did that in reality that she that she bought her way into the U.S. with um, Mossad information and it got her killed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that's the only thing that makes sense. Because it, it's just it's so weird that they just let all that go. Um, so, but you know, it's just one of those things. I think sometimes people just aren't aware of what they're putting in their stories when they have. I mean, when you're a federal employee who has access to classified information, or even a private employee who's under who has a security clearance and has access to a private citizen who has access to classified information in whatever fashion that you've signed agreements with the government to not reveal certain things. If you go and break that agreement, you could get in really big trouble. No matter how trivial it is. So, you know, and in some cases receiving classified information is also a really big problem. For you legally, mm-hmm. keep that in mind when you're writing as well. Um, but what it boils down to, well, what these things boil down to, is that when you don't pay attention to your plot, 
and how it impacts the reader perceptions of your character, um, that's bad craft. And not fixing it is worse. So if you want to improve as a writer, and I hope we all do, I do, I try every day, um, you have to figure out and account for your plot choices. And if you want your character to be ambiguous and potentially cruel, um, villainous, that's perfectly fine. But you need to own that behavior in your narrative. You can't yeah, and not do it by accident. The accidental who wants an accidental villain? See red, white, and blue. And expect anybody to buy it. Right. I mean if you want to turn, you know, I don't know, John Shepard into Dumbledore with your accidental um, with your intentions that basically create a villain, then you know, if that's what you want to do, go for, go for it. But it's usually that kind of thing is better done through de- through deliberation. You know, nobody really wants an accidental villain. You see things be, being done in popular media sources like movies and, and TV shows. When you see when you see bad craft happening, that's not permission to do it yourself. You need to rise above that. And recognizing it is what the, the first step. Recognizing that bad craft that um, that mistake in plotting and characterization is, is a huge moment. It's a huge step for you as a writer and recognizing it in your own writing and resolving to not do that is just an immense step forward in your path as a writer. Yeah. And the thing is, I know people see it. Yourself. They see it. They see it in NCIS. We see it for sure. All of you MCU writers out there who have big issues with Winter Soldier and Civil War and all of that stuff. You guys, they all see it. They all see these plot problems, these plot decisions that sacrifice character and turn Captain America into a villain, turn Natasha Romanoff into a villain. That was complete accidental villainry. They did not mean to do that. So it's it's helpful to start seeing that in the fandoms you read in. So in the, in the media you see and you recognize, you see authors, you know, picking up on things that need to be fixed. And those are probably some plot inconsistencies or characterization fails or whatever. So you see it and you write it. And then you just got to start turn that perspective on your own writing, which can be a lot harder to do. And painful. Yes. It can be painful to, to recognize the, the flaws in your own work and it can be frustrating. And, you know, we, we've all had that moment where we're like, oh, fuck it, I'm not doing it. It's just, it's just fan fiction. Have you ever said that? It's just fan fiction. I don't need to fix it. I don't need to worry about it. But the thing is, is that the habit that you develop writing fan fiction follow you into um, your original work. And if you've got bad habits, they're going to follow you too. There's a video currently in, um, I think it's in Minion Headquarters, on MeWe, of a professional author who used to write fan fiction. And she's talking about the things that she took with her from fandom into fan fiction and how she can pick out other fan fiction writers who were turning professional because she sees the same things in their work that wasn't hers. Like um, 
really extravagant dialogue tags, um, adverb reviews, um, tropes from fandom. And tropes from fandom are fun, right? And taking them into the original work is, is really fun, too, and it's really interesting. But you got to do it smart. you got to be careful with it. You don't want people looking you gotta, at your um, work and going, oh, that's, that's fan fiction. Um, the eye thing, yeah. <laughs> you can't see yourself blush. So if you're in your character's POV and they're blushing, what you want to say is that um, – that they feel their face the, heating, um, heating up, how their cheeks get warm, whatever. POV is a big issue with people, I think, going from that the fan fiction to that's that could be an issue in any kind of amateur writer going like first time original writer. Um, epithet abuse, I would say, very much a hallmark of a fan fiction writer because it is fandom that set down that that idea that he said is not sufficient or using somebody's name or a pronoun is not good enough that you need to say the older agent. Well, the fact about it is, is when you've got two men in a thing, it becomes a problem that he becomes a problem. But so you need to be careful and it's better to use their name too much than to call McKay a scientist repeatedly. Yeah. The scientist, the scientist. You get the scientist, one. The scientist, the scientist. You get one. Yeah, you can, but the thing is, typically, I would encourage people, when it comes to epithets, I would encourage you to make it relevant about reminding the reader, or at least relevant to what they're doing. But, like, right. you know, you know, if, if, if Rodney's sitting down to eat lunch, you know, and you go, the scientist sat down and grabbed a sandwich. That seems Are a we, little... Ridiculous. Why are we being reminded he's a scientist? Um, it doesn't seem remotely relevant into him enjoying his ham and Swiss sandwich. Um, yeah, and the thing is, there are there are some good words, some good substitutes for said, and then there are some ridiculous ones, like whispered, asked, um, whispered I'm murmur at you about the same. Yeah. But Grammarly keeps trying to get me to use chirped. 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 No. But opined is never okay. Just strike it right out of your, your, no. Unless your character, unless unless your POV character is very pretentious, there's no opining. (laughs) Just don't. I think that Thor might opine. (laughs) Avery Newt, he does not chirp. Newt, Newt. I think I had him chirp. I think I had him chirp once just because it, it amused me because I'd been bitching about chirping in the sprints. Um, so, but yeah, yeah, but he does Newt. Yeah, but epithets. Because are, it's I, really a cute issue. You guys think it is? So, but yeah, I had um, I had a friend, uh, not friend. My actually, my mother bought me a, a book uh, that she sent me. She gets me through Amazon, and I started reading it and I knew I knew within of the like two within the first two chapters well first chapter probably that this was definitely a fan fiction writer and you just don't want that like this is an amateur writer thing like stamped on your work and a lot of it was epithets it was like I I don't see this in normal creative writing classes they don't teach you to you know write crazy shit like the older agent and the longer trench coat <laughs> it's just 
No. <laughs> really long, really long, ridiculous epithets, you know? Um, there is a moment say, in Fall for You that I actually got my, my editor wanted to change it, and I wouldn't let her because it was it was a very pointed comment um, about fandom, and it's the part where um, Riley is talking to um, – did I forget my character's name? Oh my god! Um, and um, he calls him Doc, and he says, "Riley, you need to call me Riley like I'm a person, <laughs> and not a profession." <laughs> and my editor wanted to change it, and I was like, "Nope, not doing it." <laughs> new, new, yeah. new. It, it's not pointed in the story, but it's pointed elsewhere. It, it's staying. <laughs> Um, like Teen Wolf is like one of the worst fandoms to me for really terrible epithet abuse. And I was reading. A I story. think it's NCIS is worse, actually. You think <laughs> NCIS is NCIS is bad? But I'm sorry, the curly-haired Beta. I was just like, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> Wait, is that Jackson or? Um, Isaac, Scott. Isaac is the curly. Oh, Isaac, Isaac in this context. Okay. Isaac, I mean, uh, no, Scott in that one was the crooked jawed teen. I was like, yeah, oh, good Lord. Lord. that's just what the fuck. <laughs> I mean, I was the the epithets were so ridiculous that I just. I mean, they came just one step shy of calling Styles a walking sass factory. <laughs> Which would have been funny as fuck, but they didn't go there. But no, it was things like the crooked jaw teen, the curly haired beta. Yeah, I was like, oh, please make it stop. Please, please stop. Please you stop. know, but you know, on a for real note, and I said it before, and I will say it again, I will keep saying it because you guys, because that fandom ruined 15 years of television for me. I cannot watch the show Supernatural because I stumbled across an incest fix in Supernatural fandom before I ever got to watch a single episode of the show. And now there's 15 years of television that, I'm not, that I can't watch. No matter how good it is. It because be of the incest fix. Ruined. I was Ruined. I did see... I saw the first season of Supernatural before I even realized what the crazy it was going on with the fan, fan fiction. And it was like, wait a minute, what? The primary pairing is who? How is that even possible? Because <laughs> there was no Castiel you at that point, sick, right? None. You sick bitches. I, I probably believe they introduced the angel just to get the, the, the incest under control. Quick, we need to That's hire a really true. hot guy who's very personable, who's good in the trench coat. <laughs> get on it. He has to have really great chemistry with one of these two. It doesn't matter which one. We need to get the incest out of our fandom. Oh, and let's not forget that the Supernatural fandom is where ABO came from. So I had no idea. Yeah. Because people just really need Dean knocked up. <laughs> So, you know, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, I am not laughing at the trench coat. I think the trench coat was very um, important to the development of his character. 
um, even though I never watched the show. Um, how else is he supposed to hide his wings? It, that, that, that's why he has it, right? To hide his wings? <laughs> I don't think his wings oh, okay. are visible, are they? Oh. But I felt oh. like it was sort of like um, the trench coat was a lot like. Did you ever see the movie Dogma? Well, they were sort of like in the way that the, the two angels dressed with the, the hoodies, you know. The hoodies were supposed to be like cowls, you know. I mean, there was some sort of like symbolic element to the way they dressed, always with the hoodies underneath their outer jacket. Um, mm-hmm. So I figured it was something kind of along those lines that they were doing something with that trench coat. And, yeah, it kind of did evoke some sort of, you know, that he was um, – it was sort of like an alter ego kind of identity, you know, thing. So, yeah, that would be coat, definitely, definitely. He had a trench coat, yeah. He and he was using it to hide his wings, but he was. Yeah, it, it definitely. Yeah. I, thought, I thought the wings were did something. So, um. <laughs> Dean carried around the coat. That is so fucking adorable. <laughs> see? See how fandom ruined that for me? It totally wrecked you. It wrecked me. Like Linus with a blankie. I'm just that's why I cast um, that actor into the role of Matt Shepard well he was one of my choices I had several choices and I let my readers vote on who they wanted and they overwhelmingly picked Jensen Um, my other choice was Chris Pine which is how Chris Pine also got fan cast into my story eventually (laughs) because I was like hmm (laughs) Yeah, it, yeah, that's just too pretty not to include, especially with that photo shoot that was out around that time. I know, right? Mm. Thank you, Chris Pine's mama. <laughs> yeah. This is the last season of Supernatural coming up. Is it? Is it? Mm-hmm. It's finally over. I saw it on our article. Um, I never got to watch Supernatural because of the fandom. I blame them. I'm really glad that I watched Numbers before I ever ventured into fandom because they would have ruined that for me, too. Yeah, I I was many seasons into numbers before because sometimes I I sometimes I watch a show and I immediately want to know what the fandom's about, right? And sometimes I'm not even remotely curious, and it takes me quite a long time to go check out what fandom is doing with that with that uh, show or movie. And numbers mm-hmm. was one of them. I think I was four seasons in before I went to go check out what the fandom was up to, and then I was like, whoa, 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 what are you bitches doing? They're brothers. <laughs> I don't get it. I really don't. I don't. I don't get it. 
It bothers me a lot. And even though I know that Thor and Loki are not biologically related, they're not even the same species, I will not read Thor Loki. It is no. They were raised as brothers. Thor loves him like a brother. It's just, it's not cool. Stop it, fandom. Yeah. I did, I read one that was crack fit. Um, it, it was a sort of like, it wasn't from either of their point of view. Um, it was more like, I, I don't even know how I got to reading that, but I kind of, every time <laughs> they started in on each other, I was just like, I got to skip ahead because I'm finding, I was finding the story amusing, but I was not remotely amused by the utter bizarreness that was, you know, because pseudo incest to me is the same as incest in terms of how I feel about it. It may not like well, for me, the same thing. Pseudo incest and incest um, have I have the same problem with both because there's a it's about power dynamics and um, it's about more often than not one of the people involved in this pairing are coaxing the other past the taboo. So yeah, that's it's a true. Manipulation and a weird power dynamic um, and. And and I read across one that I was so furious. I was reading, I like Jurassic World. Terrible plot choices. Sorry, California. Um, (laughs) Yeah, just let California get eaten. I was watching the, I I watched the first one. I came home and I was like, I really like Owen. I'm going to go read some. Y'all. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. I know where you're going. I don't don't even know what's wrong with that fandom. What was worse? The Owen slash Blue, because yes, that's there. Or the two brothers. Gray the two brothers is, like is eight worse. Eight or he's ten. He looks yeah. like a little kid. And I was like, what? Yeah. What? That was that was much worse. Right. The, well, the, the, the brothers. No, 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 no. I, I just I don't I don't touch that fandom with a ten foot pole, and it's a good thing I saw the movies before I found out about those shenanigans. Um, I I have never gone back to Ao3 to look at that fandom since because I was like because I was like, oh it is blue no no oh my god click off I was done because no no well Zach is like. 16, 17, I mean, he's, he, he's a kid. He, Owen needs to keep his dick to himself. Um, there are plenty of Absolutely. adult men on that, on, that, on that island he could have hooked up with. It, just, they can bring Dr. Ian Malcolm back. Not that he would ever consider going to another Jurassic Island, but, you know. No, no. Um, but the only time I daddy, ever... And I'm not necessarily opposed to that being Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not opposed at all. Um, and the thing is, I will read in that fandom if I know the writer. So when Lady Ra wrote um, her Jurassic World addition to the McCavity series, I was all over that because I knew that she wasn't going to have Owen banging Blue or vice versa, which is you know, whatever. Um, I just, because you trust, I just, 
I mean, if Kara, if Kara put up a, a story in Jurassic World, I'd go read it. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even cross my mind. But anybody else, I'm suspicious. <laughs> it has to be a writer I know. <laughs> I just don't get it. But see, this is the whole thing we're talking about here, is when, you're, when you put a character, like, let's, let's look at Thor and Loki. They're both adults. And no, I don't want to have that discussion about the age parallelism and um, their long lifespan. They're adults. Okay. Um, I don't know about the circumstances as far as like incest and being a taboo on Asgard, but there is an element of coercion often in these relationships that make me very uncomfortable. So even if Thor and Loki aren't brothers, one of them is going to be seducing the other into a situation that they normally would not want to be in. There's coercion, there's manipulation, there's, um, it's a corruption of their relationship as brothers, of their brotherhood, and it's deeply offensive to me. Yeah. I mean, the last time we talked about the Thor-Loki thing, because we talked about it before, we both have issues with it, somebody did send me, um, you know, some links because that happens a lot. Um, if you and, send me a single you know, fucking link, I will cuss you out. <laughs> send okay. me some links to some Thor Loki stories where they were not raised together. Okay. I get it. That makes, that does, that does solve my problem by not having them raised together, but I'm still not interested in reading it because in my head, my head canon, their brother is the frater- the fraternal love that they have for each other, and it is not remotely sexual. So, solving the problem with the logistics does not solve my head canon issue. <laughs> no, because and really, we talked about this last or night before last. Never wherever we are on last podcast, we talked about the family dynamics in Thor's family because that's the only family we really have in the MCU to explore. I mean, yeah, Clint Barton has a family, but we don't really get to see much of them. Um, when it comes to family dynamics, Thor and Loki and Odin and Frigga are what we've got, you know? And so I'm much more interested as a reader in seeing Thor and Loki um, coming together and forgiving each other and and learning to, to be brothers and learning to trust one another. Um, that's what I would want to read. Um, if I want to read porn, I've got plenty of options. Yeah. And if Loki got to stick his dick in somebody, there are plenty of other choices besides Thor. There are, I mean, you know, the only pairing I'm not on board with the Loki would be Thor, would be, but besides Thor, is Clint Barton. And it's not because they made him married yeah. because I don't actually believe that's head canon. Um, it's because of the um, the mental manipulation that they both experienced. Um, Loki has the hands of Thanos, and, and Loki did it to Clint Barton. And that's why I also think that um, the relationship between Wanda and Vision was so corrupt. I agree, yeah. I mean, you could do you could do Loki with Clint, but it has to occur before the the mind thing. It has to occur, you know. Right. If Loki and it, Clint it, it, had hooked up in a bar in the desert during Thor's hammer thing, 
I would not be opposed. And you could even, that could actually be really interesting because Loki could come through the portal and they've hooked up in the past and maybe Loki's been thinking about him and maybe being confronted with having to hurt his lover shakes him off of out of Thanos' control. Gives him that cognitive readjustment without the kick in the head. Or both. It could be both. Yeah, or maybe he hesitates just long enough okay, because like, of that memory for Clint to hit him in the head. Dude, what up with your eyeballs? Whoa, 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 whoa. What's the L? <laughs> like, yo, dude, I know Let's your eyes not. are green, smack. Let's not. So, I mean, you could go that route. That, that's kind of like a fix-it route that prevents that abuse from happening. But to me, that's very different than rewinding the entire um, – you know, MCU canon about about Loki and Thor actually being raised together and having that never happen. So, um, I mean, write it if you want. That's fine. But I'm not gonna. I'm not. That does. If you wanna, if you wanna write those two together, and you're trying to solve your incest problem, having them never be raised together certainly solves the problem. But I'm still not interested in reading it because my head canon. This is the same reason I don't read Tony and John is because my head canon is that they are related. In some fashion, whether it's brothers or cousins or something. Related. <laughs> so I just can't get get there. And people do send me, you know, Rex for John, Tony, which is bizarre to me. Like, oh, now that you've explored them romantically, wouldn't you be interested in, I mean, explored them in a, in a familial relationship? Wouldn't you like to explore them fucking? No, I would not. No. Lily Absolutely. has an excellent point about Owen being a really good raptor daddy. And it's actually really um, – it the, the the blue Owen is actually worse after you see the second movie when you see Owen interacting with her when she's a baby. It just – it just does a whole new layer of ick all over it. It's just gross. It's just – not that it isn't gross anyway. It's just like extra gross after you see Owen raising blue. Yeah, especially those little those scenes in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. But little we got, mm-hmm. that was the best part of Baby Blue was the best part of the Baby Raptors and the best part of Fallen Kingdom. And to corrupt that with, ew, bestiality is just next level gross. I can't even. There are fan fiction tropes that I do not like. I do not touch with a 10-foot pole. It's just my preference as a reader. And I don't care how many people would recommend it to me. It's just not something I'm going to read. So um, this comes up every once in a while. Somebody goes, haven't you read this or whatever? Honestly, there are some tropes I dislike so much that even the people I trust the most with recommending fan fiction to me, I would be like, no. Mm -mm. No. No, dog. No. No, dog. Not doing it. No. See, here's the thing. Um, you can read all the incest you want. That's cool. That's fine. You can write all the incest you want. That's cool. That's fine. You can sit there thinking, that bitch is judging me. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I can't. 
my makers of judgment are on point, okay, when it comes to incest, especially pedophilia. And I don't it, care. Especially if it incest makes you where mad. there's coercion, the, the coercion aspect. Yeah. I mean, I, okay, so I will say that the one, the one t- t- Thor Loki story I read that was utter crack, the, they wound up banging because of a spell, and they were both horrified. Um, but the spell, that's right. surprise. That's right. Okay. Yeah, right? So, it, but it, it, it's like everybody wound up banging because of the spell. It wasn't Loki's spell. It was somebody else's spell. Um, but the spell was supposed to have you do something like have them do something like be with the person they were destined to be with or something. I don't know. But anyway, so it did, I will say it removed the coercion aspect. I still found it kind of like, oh, my God, this whole, I mean, magic made them do it. Technology made them do it. Sex pollen made them. I mean, that that is such a common trope in fandom. It's not one of my favorite, but it's very common. Um, so that at least, I will say, even though the spell aspect of it, and everybody was furious with the person who cast the spell. So, you know, Loki was threatening to disembowel her. So at least everybody reacted appropriately to her spell. But in any case, um, at least the element of coercion was, was missing wasn't there, right? It's really difficult in, a, in, in that particular trope to, to remove that persuasion element, which feels really skeevy, really, really skeevy. So, um, yeah, that's why I just don't, I'm not down with that trope. And there are other tropes I don't like for whatever reason. Now, some tropes I'm not judgy about. It's like, if you want to write it, go for it. But I admit, I'm judgy about incest. I'm like, I don't know why you're writing that. And you know what I'm really? Airman Harris is a perfect example of uh, technology made them do it. Um, It's my favorite fanfic. But if if you're going – I've seen people writing pseudo-incest, like Tony – I mean, Thor Loki. Okay, that's one thing. But when somebody takes two characters who are not related in canon and makes them related for the purpose of writing incest, man, I get a wedgie from those knickers of judgment. I, <laughs> I am judging you so fucking hard. That, that is point right there. I mean, it just it gets in. You know what? But I actually kind of appreciate that. I'm not going to read it, but I appreciate the unapologetic nature of it. Um, because, yeah, you do you. Um, but... Nah, I'm not on board. I'm not there for it. I have one fic where aliens sort of make John and Rodney do it, but not really. I mean, like, they could have just left, but they wanted the trade deal. (laughs) They kind of always wanted to fuck anyway. (laughs) It actually starts closer to cheating than anything else because McKay was with Keller, but that doesn't count. Um, and I don't even write cheating or adultery because I, I find it very offensive personally. Um, uh, but uh, so aliens kind of sort of made them volunteer to have sex with each other. <laughs> it's on my EAD. And that's the closest I ever got to, to aliens made them do it. I did it in um, my first SG story, and it wasn't exactly Aliens Made Him Do It, but it was sort of eventually Aliens Made Him Do It. They had to get married 
And then they found out later that the only way to deal with the effects of the bond that they were under was to eventually have sex because their bond wasn't solidifying because they hadn't, you know, but they didn't mind having sex. So, you know, uh, <laughs> like, oh, that's all they we got to do, really? <laughs> well, all right, then, we'll have sex. <laughs> we go, we're going to like this run out. <laughs> that's not a problem. You should have been more clear. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's kind of Stargate canon um, from the very first movie, the whole notion that they're probably going to occasionally have to have sex out in the field, you know, <laughs> to keep from pissing off the, the locals or to cement a trade deal. Or, I mean, it, it, that was the first move. That was the movie, right? Was he, That's how yeah. uh, Torrey and uh, Jack Dana got together was she was, it was sort of like a, he, he couldn't really turn her down without insulting everybody. So And what's really what was really horrific in, in the book you find out that her father regularly gave her to um whatever representative Ross sent to, to the planet. She was the sexual welcome wagon. Yeah. To whatever Jafar really he gross. sent to the planet to check on their operations. Yeah. My That's husband really listened gross. to the book, and um, they're they're horrifying. I don't don't read them. Don't read the ones that are um, the original Gate Universe. Don't read them. They're they're just it's it's terrible. Yeah. Honestly, Doc, I didn't find it charming even in the movie. Um, I, I found it to be um, oh look, you know, there's a native girl being given to the Great White Hunter. I felt like it was How realistic. Terrible. I didn't like it. I didn't. I, mean, yeah. I thought it was realistic. Yeah, it was realistic, like it. Yeah. but I, I didn't see it as romantic or um, it just it. No, it, yeah, and, and that, that was the part that made it palatable. Is that Daniel wasn't? He was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and <laughs> he only he, and, Dan, <laughs> and Daniel only went through with it because he realized it could have negative repercussions for her to be turned away. Um. And they would have just sent her a different, and they would have sent him a different one. He'd have a parade of girls come to his tent that he could have gotten in trouble, and he just wasn't doing that. So, you know, um, yeah. So it that kind of thing. Um, that's another thing you have to be really careful of is. Um, that's that's sort of my rule with um, if I'm ever going to write people having sex impaired because it would the consent is dubious. That is where I that is what I call dubious consent is when anybody's judgment's impaired. But I need both both parties to be equally impaired because um, if they're both yeah. equally impaired, then then one person is not um, culpable culpable for, for a, coercing the other one in anything or, or, you know, so that's sort of like where I kind of, and that's a difficult thing when I'm reading that trope of like aliens made them do it or sex pollen or, you know, um, a spell, whatever it is, whatever device is being used to get people to bang is you never quite know what you're going to step into. Is one partner aware and the other under the influence is one partner more aware and sometimes all you think you're stepping into a thing where, you know, 
um, aliens made him do it. And what you find is that one partner is completely aware of what's going on and the other partner is not aware at all. And then that, it starts crossing the line, right? Like for me in a big way. And so it can be a very, you got to be careful. That's another one you got to be careful with because but you've just now made one of your characters, to me, a rapist, right? So uh, watch well, out with the how original you... Sleeping Beauty is more horrific than in the original Sleeping Beauty. So-called Prince Charming comes across her, rapes her. She gives birth, and one of the babies sucks the poison out of her finger, and she wakes up. Gross. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the original Snow White was nine. Well, in the Disney movie, uh, Snow White is 12. She's the youngest Disney princess at 12. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. Let's so, move on. When you when you're making your choices about what you're going to do with your plot or your character or whatever, you have to really think carefully about how does my plot choices and how my character interacts with my plot. What does this say about my character? Because nobody wants to inadvertently make their character traitor. These are things you want to do on purpose, not by accident. You don't want to accidentally make your character, because you just weren't aware of it, a traitor, a killer, um, a rapist. And uh, of any kind, we're not just talking about you know, physical rape, because people, people do things in stories with magic that is like mind rape you know, all the time. Yeah. Um, I put uh, imperious. Um, there's actually a scene in my line in the Raven, which is my Harry and Hermione sitting on guide story where they come to Hogwarts online and they're just really horrified, but just about almost all of it. Um, and they try to make the best circumstances about trolling the whole school, but there's a scene where they learn cheering charms and Hermione is absolutely horrified that a spell that could force your mood to change is considered light, that it's considered a charm. And she's horrified that someone can manipulate her like that and it's not even a crime. It seems that it, yeah, because it seems harmless, right? Oh, here, I'm going to cast this charm on you and make you laugh and make you feel better. Ha, ha, ha. It's and really, that, really? Should be a, that should be like a medicinal charm. It's like your serotonin levels are too low and we're going to boost them. You know, and you're going to a, a certified healer who is doing this to you, as opposed to your classmates practicing their cheering charm on you. Why is the spell even taught in school? How strong would that spell have to? Now, this is this is a ramification choice here. Okay, so these they're teaching these eleven year olds these cheering charms. How strong would it have to be to equal intoxication to the point where their inhibitions are so low that a wizard could cheer a witch into fucking, or it would be rape? This is ramifications. This is consequences. You can die from laughter. Yeah. 
I mean, I think that this is again case of like an an author not realizing ramifications of what she made commonplace in the Wizarding World because she was really her the characters were really blasé about love potions, love potions. That's like you know in the in the real world we call those like roofies. That's like rohypnol. You know, yeah. we don't. Yeah, GHB rohypnol. That's what we call that in the real world, and they call them love potions. I mean, yeah, it's probably slightly different, but, oh, okay, a love potion with a cheering charm. How is that much different than GHB? It's not. So, I mean, that's really ugly implications about just kids, and it's just adults, you know, kind of patting them on the head and going, oh, look what, um, look what these kids are just doing. They're just experimenting with love potions. What a really horrible world that is. And you know that wasn't her intention. It just seemed like the kind of spell somebody would have come up with. And realistically, it is. It is the kind of thing somebody would have come up with. But in a responsible society, you, you, they're outlawed, and children don't get to make them, and they can't buy joke love potions. Because subverting somebody's will, even for an afternoon, is not okay. There's a, um, a line in one of my stories, and I forget which one it was. It's Harry's learning about his, um, his family, and he's reading in his his family grimoire grimoire how do you say that grimoire 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 yeah anyways and he turns to hermione and said that one of his ancestors invented the cheering charm to cheer up his wife because he was a serial cheater oh (laughs) why didn't he invent a you know an orgasm charm yeah, so that he wouldn't cheat on his wife. Yeah, sure. But instead he still had to you know, spend a lot of time um, uh, designing a charm to make his wife feel better about his philandering. And so, yeah, it's just a throwaway line in one of my, in my, one of my stories because I was like, who the hell is good to cheering charm and what do they use it for? And I was like, that, that's what, the, the, that became my headcanon, that a member of Harry's, um, a, a distant relative created it because he was a philandering whore. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it, you know the original Miracle on 34th Street when they want to get the Santa to go stay at that guy's house, and he said he'd get a couple of cocktails into his wife, right? And he gets her smashed, and then asks her if this this Santa character can come stay with her, and she's drunk when she's talking on the phone and agreeing to let Santa come live with them. That's pretty much, you know, that's kind of like how people think. I'll just, I'll just get her smashed. She'll be fine with it. I that's the first time I'd be curious. Did you really get me drunk to try to get me to do something? Really? That actually doesn't work with me. I become very um I'm actually a very happy drunk, but I pretty much I'm very also very um intractable. So very, very happy but you don't want to tell me no. No, I'm 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 a gleefully <laughs> I'm a blissfully happy drunk, but just don't tell me no. So, like, I will be giggling at the storm, and then the bartender, you know, and my friends cut me off, but I had already, I think I've told you guys this, I had already ordered my last tequila sunrise. I mean, I'd only had, like, I don't know, nine or ten of them. And um, I ordered only. my last one, and my, and my friends were like, you are so drunk, you cannot have any more. And they cut me off, and I was like, they're like, we have to go. 
And I was like, nope, 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 nope. I ordered a drink. I paid for a drink. I am drinking my drink. And they're like, no, we're leaving. I said, then I'm taking my drink with me. And the bartender says, you can't take alcohol. You can't take, he said, that's our glass and you can't take it out of here. And I was like, just watch me. And I took that tequila sunrise and I upended it into my purse and I left. (laughs) (laughs) You just don't tell me no, because I will find a solution. (laughs) Um, I can't. <laughs> I am. I am two kinds of drunk. If you get if you get some dark liquor in me, I am. I am loving and um, kind of hot to trot. To be perfectly honest, um, but if you get tequila in me or vodka, I'm a fighter. <laughs> and every song is my fight song. <laughs> No, I'm pretty much just happy. You know, it, it, there's different degrees of happiness. Um, tequila, I, I'll just be giggling the whole night. It, it just, it, it's not even, it's just absurd. I just can't stop laughing. So, but I'm pretty much happy, but it, it's, I'm like, I'm, I'm very set. Once I've decided on something, there is no persuading me otherwise. So nobody would get me drunk to persuade me of something. It'd be, you, you, you have a much better chance of persuading me of something if I'm stone cold sober. <laughs> Unless it's champagne, I am a maudlin <laughs> drunk on champagne. I, I, I'm more wine likely to be crawling. Yeah, champagne wine just turns me, me into a weepy mess. Too much wine. <laughs> I don't wine like gives me glass. a headache. Two glasses is pushing it. Three glasses, I am crying like steel magnolias is on <laughs> on the TV. <laughs> That much wine would give me just such a bad headache that I would never get to the third or fourth glass. After the second glass, I'm just done. My head feels like it's about to blow up. That's so sad. Yeah, there you go, Dark. Exactly. (laughs) Dark says, why is getting a woman drunk considered a better choice than chocolate and an orgasm? Has no one ever met a woman? No, apparently not. Or at least, you know, chocolate and a really nice vibrator because, you know, sometimes you don't really want to deal with the person. You don't really want to deal with the person who wants the favor, but if they're bringing me, you know, a nice Lilo and a nice box bar of dark chocolate, I'm like, all right, what is it you want? <laughs> it, better, it better be a Lilo, buddy. I'm not accepting some, you know, 1999 knockoff. No, right? thank you. Lilo is the way to go. Not sponsored, but highly recommended. But if Lilo mm-hmm. wants to sponsor me, they need to let me know because I could spend two hours talking about Lilo. <laughs> We'd be all in there. Yeah. <laughs> they have this they have this one uh, yeah, that's just whew. that's hundred bucks I ever spent. Actually it might have been more than that. But still, totally worth every penny. Oh, what's a Lilo? That's a really good way. It's been the last five minutes. Oh my God! Lilo is a brand of uh, vibrator um, that they have a lot of different. They have a lot of different models, um, and uh, they are fantastic. They have waterproof ones, um, and mine has this rhythm option. Y'all, 
remember when you were like, if you don't, I'm going to let you live vicariously through me for the next three minutes. When you were like 19 or 20, and you had that one guy that could just go and go and go, and he would do that little rolling thing with his hips. Not every time, but like every other time. <laughs> and it would drive you up and over like three or four times. And because he was also 19 or 20, he could go and go and go like the fucking Energizer Bunny. That's what a Lilo does for you without the sweaty man on top of you part. <laughs> I highly recommend. um, I used the Hitachi Magic Wand for years, and I recommended them for years, but now I don't because um, it desensitized me, and I had to work really hard to get back into a a normal sensation level. And I think Lilo is the the way to go on that front because they have a very delicate vibration that will just bang it out for you. I highly recommend the one I just linked there. That thing is great. the, I want that one. Hitachi, the Hitachi is great through jeans. <laughs> Low setting through jeans, you're golden. Otherwise, no. <laughs> you know, you got you got to have you got to have some layers between you and it. Let's <laughs> just put it that way because it's that is an outboard. Motor, yeah, the Hitachi, the Hitachi mod will come with a kickstand. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 an that. I, I, I have a friend who always used it on the high setting. That's the only bear. That's the only way she could get off. Uh, I was just like, well, oh my near God. the end of my time with the Hitachi, I was there. I was so oh, desensitized to the vibration that it was on point at the highest setting, and then it shorted out, and I didn't have one, and then absolutely nothing else worked for me. And I got a gift certificate for Amazon one day from one of my readers. (coughs) (laughs) I see you can visit Canada. And she was like, get you something you really like. And I'm like, okay. I went over to Amazon, and there was a Lilo there. And it was um, just about all the gift certificates. So, yeah, one of my readers actually bought my current vibrator, and I'm, I'm not even ashamed. Um, and so I bought it, and, and, I, and it took me a couple of weeks, actually, to get to the point where I wasn't so desensitized that I could um, use it. Use it. And actually, the Hitachi, Washi, the Hitachi Magic Wand also has an element of pain in it because it's so, it's so intense. And I am a masochist, mm-hmm. and so I had to, I had to adjust. But I highly recommend Lilo. Off the hook. I have I have three Lilos total. Um, I like the the Sona the best. Um, that's my favorite. And that's the one that drops your clit, right? Yes. Oh look, I just heard my R rating. There you the go. The Sona Cruise. It kind of rubs over your clit and sucks it a little. Sort of, it, it, it creates sort of like a, a simulated sucking kind of thing, but it does it, unlike some others that do it with air movement, like actually suction, the Sona does it mm-hmm. with um, ultrasonic waves. So mm-hmm. that's one of the why it's so expensive. It's like a little ultrasonic thing. Um, so it's it's really, really nice. Yeah. I have some of the standard... <laughs> I have that one egg-shaped one that they have. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, the lily. I have that one. 
and and I have the um, one of their standard like the um, the Gigi. So um, I have the Gigi. I like it a lot. We're down to sixty seconds, but yeah, I mean, so you know, Lilo, if you're listening, we would be happy to to sponsor a podcast. Just sponsor me. We'll spend two hours talking about your product because it's that good. Anyways, <laughs> you guys have a fantastic <laughs> week, and we'll catch you guys later. So good night, Julie. Good night, everyone. <laughs>